Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truth, because he now lives, we can live with him eternally. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. There is only one name given under heaven and earth whereby you must be saved, Acts 4.12. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. To me, the gospel is simple. One way, one name, one mediator. God is very, very narrow-minded because he knows what's at stake, your eternity. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Familiar hymns like this one express the hope promised following the culmination of the sufferings Jesus bore for our sin. But today, in a Simple Truth study titled, Coming Home, Pastor Xavier turns his attention to the reason for joy set before Jesus for enduring the cross on our behalf. Let's listen. Luke chapter 23, verse 46 is our text. The seventh saying of Jesus from the cross regards his death, which is characterized by three things. First, the loving relation, Father. Second, the trusting expression, into your hands. Thirdly, the willing submission. I commend my spirit. The loving relationship is the foundational one. Father. Jesus was consciously aware that he was speaking to his father. And not hallucinating like many people profess. He was not out of control when he expressed, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? but declared the very same due to the fact that he had been separated from the Father for the first time from all eternity as he became sin for us. Because God is holy, he cannot look upon sin. He must judge sin. This made very clear in Matthew twenty-seven forty-six. Having said, it is finished, which was the assessment of the accomplished goal. In John 19.30. Notice Jesus was crying out prophetically to his father. He cried with a loud voice to his father. The quote is from Psalm 31.5. Which expresses confidence in God's deliverance. But the word father. Is substituted by Jesus for the phrase. The Lord Yahweh Elohim of truth. Because Jesus was interpreting and saying, this was the prophetic prophecy of me as I'm on the cross. He's the author of his word. (laughs) Notice, secondly, comes the trusting expression, into your hands. Jesus was declaring his complete confidence in the Father, listen, at death. The death of Jesus was real. He actually died just as he actually hungered, thirsted, tired, Slept, bled, just according to the gospel. The death of Jesus was confirmed by the soldiers who examined the other two malefactors in John 19.33. The death of Jesus caused Pilate to marvel that he had already died in Mark 15.44. The death of Jesus is attested in all four gospels. 
In fact, his death is crucial because the death was the payment. The resurrection is the receipt of guarantee that the payment was accepted. Paid in full. Jesus was declaring his complete confidence in the Father's plan. To crucify his son for the sins of the world by his determined purpose and foreknowledge. Acts 2.23 tells us that. So the father crucified his son from before the world began in his plan. He lives in an eternal present. We live in a chronological linear time, past, present, and future. The father did it to make only one way for man to be redeemed. The father did it in full recognition of what it would cost him and his son. Because he loves you. It was the only way to atone for you and for me. And the father did it in such a way that he never violates your free will. You don't have to go to heaven, but you can. But also to return to the father. Listen to John 13.1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from the world to the father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end or the uttermost. He knew that he would be dying very shortly and returning to the Father. John tells us Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, John thirteen three. John again says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, John fourteen two. And if I go, I, I go to prepare a place that... That where I am, there you may be also, and I will come back to receive you to myself. You must make a distinction between coming back for us, to receive us to himself, and coming back with him to set up the kingdom. First Thessalonians, he comes back for us, the rapture. Roman, right here in John 14, 1 through 3, first time Jesus mentions it. Second Thessalonians, we come back with him to set up the kingdom. There's a big distinction. But also to predestine those trusting in Jesus. Predestination is an interesting biblical doctrine. Paul says this, According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Ephesians 1.4 I confirm my predestination by my own choice to believe or disbelieve. Never believe that God has predestined you To not believe and to be damned. That's not a biblical doctrine. That's a doctrine made by a man according to John Calvin. I believe in predestination according to the Bible, but not according to Calvinism. God gives you a free will. And yet he says he has elected and predestined, but they never violate one or the other or contradict, but they complement one another. We can't understand how they work together, but don't worry about it. You say, well, what if God didn't predestine me? Well, why would you believe that? Well, I haven't come. Well, why haven't you come? I don't want to. Well, then, maybe you're not. Well, that's not fair. Well, then come. Peter says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. And there's the problem. We don't have foreknowledge. For you to understand how predestination and free will work together, you must have foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is, is more than just information beforehand. It's a manifestation of his omniscience. He knows everything. He can't learn nothing. So to understand predestination and free will to its full end, we need foreknowledge. We don't have it. 
Peter says, elect according to foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul put it this way, for whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed. And there's the key. If you believe that you're, you're called, that you're elected, that you're predestined, then there must be transformation conforming you to the image of Christ. If there's no transformation going on, end of predestination. Bottom line. Simple. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, then he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. Whom he justified, then he also glorified. All are in the perfected tense. Because God can see the end from the beginning. We have a problem with that. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Every year we have a parade here. It's called the Rose Parade. When we're standing on this corner and the parade gets to here, we start seeing the beginning of it. But the people on the other end are looking at the end of it. About a half hour before, they saw the beginning. If I go up on a Goodyear blimp, I'll be able to see the beginning, the middle, and the end all at one time. God can see you in your birth, your whole life, and a trillion years into the future, all at one time. Because he lives outside of man's time domain. An eternal present. There's no problem with that. But notice also to demonstrate his love for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes him should not perish but have everlasting life. Therefore, if Jesus Christ died for the whole world. Then there must be at least one opportunity given to every individual born into this world. If God doesn't give every individual at least one opportunity, then he cannot be God, he cannot be just, he cannot be good, and he cannot be holy. He has to be a liar. Now, I cannot tell you how, when, and where, but knowing the nature and the attributes of God, he will give at least one time. And he gave us a picture of that that you can't miss. Two thieves on the cross, both equally distant, both equally listening, both equally being petitioned by Jesus. One accepts, the other one rejects. There you have human history. When Jesus judges every person, not one of them is going to say, you never gave me a chance. He would be unjust. He would be a liar. Listen to Paul, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died. For the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrating his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, the ungodly. Romans 5, 6 and 8. I presume you qualify for the category of ungodly. Unrighteous is my wrong conduct towards you. Ungodly is my wrong living towards God. The vertical is the most important. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The trusting expression is revealed by the phrase, into your hands, confident. Notice thirdly, the willing submission. I commend my spirit. Jesus was laying his life down of his own free will. No one forced him to do so. Not even the father. And Jesus had the power to raise it up again. He left his throne, became man, and submitted himself to every abuse of man. 
according to his own will. John 10, 17 through 18 says, Therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life and that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power both to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. Wow. So the father raised Jesus, Jesus raised himself, and the Holy Spirit raised him. All three had a part in it. He demonstrated love beyond that of the world. John tells us greater love has no man than he laid down his life for his friends. John 15, 13. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now are we the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he, Jesus, is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. First John 3, 1 through 4. The greatest incentive for holy living is that you know that Jesus can come at any time for you. If you're not living holy, you do not believe Jesus is coming. You cannot just go to church. You have to be the church. You can't play church games. Those are bad games. No longer was he in the land of sinners or the hands of the sinners, but the fathers. God is spirit. God is light. And in him there's no darkness at all. God is love and God is life. Every one of those describe his nature, what he is. No longer would man have to fear death. Jesus tasted death for every man. He died in their stead. Hebrews 2.9. Now, if he tasted death for every man, that itself says that every man and woman has an opportunity to be saved. So you can't buy the chosen frozen theology. It's a contradiction. Hebrews 2.9 says that we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for every one. Not the few, but every one. Jesus destroyed Satan through death, the one who had the power of death in Hebrews 2.14. And as much then as the children have partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Satan has no power over the child of God. Jesus knocked out all his teeth at the cross. All he can do is gum you to death. Jesus freed every man and woman in Hebrews 2.15 and released those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus was victorious over the satanic holes in Hades, Colossians 2.15 says. He disarmed principalities and powers, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Matthew tells us that the graves were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city appearing to many, Matthew 27, 52, and 53. Can you imagine? You're one of those Jews walking through Jerusalem and you see your Aunt Jenny walking around who's been a stiff for about three years in the grave as the first fruits to demonstrate what he was going to do to those who believed in him. John tells us the book of Revelation that death and Hades will be cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, Revelation 20, 14. So hell right now is really just a holding tank. It's dead time until you are judged for your sins. 
And then you ascribe the level of punishment in the lake of fire for all eternity. That's why Jesus came. So you don't go there. You think he did it because he hates you or because he loves you. Jesus was dismissing his own spirit at will from the temporal 33 years he had spent on the earth. This should not be confused with suicide, the taking of one's own life. No man or woman has the authority or right over their own lives to commit suicide. Life has been given by God and God takes it away. Yet some people take their own life because of despair and no hope. This is a pagan practice by unbelievers. Christians don't commit suicide. We saw our lives so messed up, that's why we gave our life to Christ. Now we have hope in Christ. And he is sufficient for all of life. History verifies this as they're burned at the stake and tortured, not denying Jesus Christ. The act of Jesus dismissing his spirit by laying down his life is not called suicide, but a loving sacrifice as one who lays down his life for his friend or for someone in place of them. There's only five people in scriptures recorded committed suicide. You have Saul, fell on his own sword, his armor bearer. You have Zimri, the pagan king, who burnt his house and brought it down on fire on himself. And then you have Ahithophel and Judas Iscariot. Do you as a believer want to be associated with those five? There is not one verse that would condone suicide for a person to enter heaven. The Bible says you shall not murder. When you kill yourself, you're a murderer. You can't say, well, I'll repent right away. That does not speak against going to war. You're defending your family, your country. God sent his people out to war. That does not mean when a soldier calls in artillery on himself to kill the enemy, he's a hero. That's not suicide. He lays on his life for others. Jesus, as our eternal intercessor, the God-man, sits at the right hand of God now. His name is Jesus, Yahweh of salvation, Christ, Messiah, Lord, Master, Controller of our life. His position is as an advocate, a lawyer for our defense, 1 John 2, 1. But he's a little different kind of lawyer than the lawyers down here on earth. There are lawyers who will take your case, even though you're guilty, and present you innocent. Jesus only accepts guilty pleas. If you don't acknowledge your guilt, he doesn't even take or hear your case. He says, if you acknowledge your guilt, I can get you off. If you don't, you're on your own. He's a real honest lawyer. Jesus was declaring his delight to be reunited with the Father at this point. Knowing he had finished the work of the Father that had been given to him in John 17, 4 and John 19, 30, 30, it is finished. Knowing he would be restored to a glory before the world was as he prayed in John 17, 5. Knowing the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God to be reunited with the Father, Hebrews 12, 2. The joy was that he knew he was going to be reunited. He sat down. Not that he saw that you and I would be saved. That's a truth somewhere else, but not in that context. The joy was now he would be reunited in heaven with the Father. 
He is the author and finisher of our faith. He was proven to be worthy to sit at the right hand of the Father, knowing that he was the only way to God for all sinners by grace. Hebrew, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you're saved by grace through faith and not of yourself. It's the gift of God. He is the only way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him in John 14, 6. In that statement, Jesus destroyed every religion, every opinion, every philosophy. There is only one name given under heaven and earth whereby you must be saved, Acts 4, 12. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2, 5. To me, the gospel is simple. One way, one name, one mediator. God is not open to diversity. God is very, very narrow-minded. Because he knows what's at stake. Are you ready? Your eternity. He is our faithful high priest who intercedes for us day and night. Hebrews 2.18, 14 through 16, 5, 1 through 2, and many, many other passages. But also knowing he has said the last saying, then he breathed his last. The phrase is not the usual for death. The phrase sleep is used of the believer passing. It's never used of a non-believer. The unbeliever dies, which is eternal separation from God. Death is the separation of the spirit and soul from the body. For this reason, Paul puts it this way. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Second Timothy 1, 8 through 10. It is through the preaching of the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. This is what the pulpits of America need. Not the watered down Kool-Aid that people are drinking. The gospel cuts deep to your heart. It's a mirror that lets you see your ugliness and asks if you will agree with God about your life so that he can fix it. The willing submission is revealed by the expression, I commend my spirit. As John Huss, the Czechoslovakian religious reformer, was being burnt at the stake in the early 1400s for opposing the Roman Catholic Church. All his enemies were triumphantly given over his soul to the devil, declaring, quote, but I commit my spirit into thy hand, O Lord Jesus, who has redeemed it. What a contrast. In the midst of his enemies cursing him, handing him to the devil, he, like our Lord, he, like Stephen, committed his spirit to the Lord Jesus confidently the last saying Jesus was going home the seventh saying of Jesus from the cross regarded his death characterized by the loving relation father the trusting expression into your hands the willing submission I commend my spirit what an amazing Savior we have. If you don't know Jesus Christ, we plead with you to repent from your sins and embrace Christ Jesus. 
that you might be transferred from darkness to light and that he might give to you eternal life. Jesus was sent to earth to die for our sins. Yet all we have to do is accept that as his free gift of eternal life. Pastor Xavier Reese presenting the pure and simple truths of the gospel. Now copies of today's study titled Coming Home are available on CD for only $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. Now once again, the title to ask for is Coming Home or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for helping us by including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. And then tell a friend to join us for more Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese next time right here. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com